0: Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast where your host, Ryan Tansom, brings you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is episode 78. Do you know what role your business plays in your life? On today's episode, we're talking about how building a business is like building a safety net, and not only for your financial freedom, but more importantly, for your ability to change the world and the people around you while you have fun and the freedom to fully realize who you are as an entrepreneur. Today's guest name is Marcelo de and after getting laid off in the 1990s, he started his own market research company, which he grew up to 700 employees with offices around the world. And Marcelo shares with us some great stories on how he built the company and the process he went through in order to sell it. There was a couple of buyers at the table. He had a couple of different experiences with how they valued it. And he explains why he chose the German company, GFK, which was the fourth largest market research company in the world at the time. And towards the end of the interview, Marcelo and I switched gears and we started talking about what it was like post-sale. He sold the company in chunks. So he had a couple different experiences emotionally, financially about how he ended up divesting from his company and what it was like afterwards and how he is now back at it, rebuilding the safety net, which is his community, his ability to be an entrepreneur and to create through the multiple different ventures he's involved in today. I had a blast talking to Marcel and I really hope you enjoy the episode. This episode of Life After Business is brought to you by Solidity Financial's Growth and Exit Planning. Their proven process gives you clarity on all of your exit options and how those options impact your financial success, timing, and future happiness. Sell your company on your time frame to the right buyer at the price you want. Good morning, Marcelo. How are you doing today? Fine, thank you. Good morning, Ryan. God bless technology because we are across the world from each other, but we came across through some mutual connections and your story of what you did, what you've done as an entrepreneur and serial entrepreneur is pretty amazing. And I'm looking forward to hearing it. If, uh, for our listeners, maybe you can kind of go back and share with us the moment that you decided to be an entrepreneur and how you jumped in with both feet. Sure,
1: Ryan. Um, if if you don't mind, let me start saying that, um, yeah, I, 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 as, as you said, God bless technology. Nevertheless, I am not that uh, a techy guy. I'm 52, which is, uh, I, I don't feel old, but uh, in technology, 52 years old may mean a lot. So let me bring you back a couple of uh, decades, maybe three decades. Mm-hmm. I started my, my business when I was 24. Wow. And as a matter of fact, is this, what this happened, and it was not planned. I used to work for a for a, a market research company, and honestly, one day I got fired. Oh <laughs> no! This, yeah, at, yeah. Uh, things were not running very well in that company, as a company. And uh, one Friday, um, I I got into the in, into my job, and in the afternoon. Suddenly, I was called into the owner's office and he said that the business, the business was not doing that well and uh, that I was that was going to be my last day uh, working for him. And, you know, that that was a, a very difficult uh, decision to, you know, to digest, not only because it's always difficult to get fired, but also because at that time. We were running through difficult times, uh, family times, Mm -hmm. economically, no? So I was part of the um, financial support of the family. And nevertheless, I was not married. I was living with my parents. So uh, that happened on Friday. And on Monday, I was supposed to find a job, which I did. I didn't find it, but I started the, the process. And I spent like one month looking for a job in in several companies and um, a friend of mine called me that he needed a market research for a very specialized segment and he offered that to me hmm. due to the fact that i was unemployed with nothing else to do <laughs> <laughs> i with you know with a lot of uh, 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 bills to pay i um, said well yes <laughs> of course <laughs> uh, right <laughs> maybe this is this is this is a God's call, and uh, I'll take it. And um, a long sh- uh, story, long story short, this is the way I started. Uh, as I said, this is this was random. It was something that happened. And uh, since that first research um, that happened in 1990, I decided that that might be my 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 way to go professionally. I spent one entire year working in 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 my house i i at that time i didn't have the money enough not even to pay a rent so i spent that year working uh and on the other hand saving money to start the business so this is the way i started as i said that's awesome 1990, 1990 with zero employees my mother doing some coding and my <laughs> sister <laughs> yeah. bringing the
0: copies so, uh, so, so how yeah. do you go from working in your house and uh, obviously you drank the entrepreneurship Kool-Aid and you you decided it was your calling you know what were some of the major milestones because you grew to a very significant size so what were some of the major milestones as you decided to grow um you know from whether it was uh, acquiring some certain clients or, you know, employee size, you know, what was, give us some kind of benchmarks and where you took the company.
1: Uh, yeah, I think this is a great question. And I love to talk about this because, you know, th- this was not easy for me uh, because bottom line, I was more like an academic guy. I was not a businessman. Not, no one in my family was a business person. I was more like academic. I studied economics with mathematics and uh, at the beginning, I didn't realize that it was important to, to understand the business side or, or the financial and business issues in a business. I, I know this sounds crazy, but, you know, I was very focused on doing things right, mm-hmm. using the best statistics and trying to, to give to the market the best in Mexico. And, and, and this way, the business grew. And, you know, growing a business brings some of the problems that you might not be aware of when you don't have them. <laughs> and, and, and those problems are related with, with a business, with a, an ongoing business. So as you asked, which were the milestones? I spent like 10 years building up a financial um, solid firm. Without that, and then, and you know, running the business, not very professionally, but 10 years uh, after I started and the business was growing in a two digit every year, I thought that it was, it was like a break even point. Either I could have stayed as a small business with a very, very good profit margin, or maybe to decrease somewhat the profit margin and start hiring on one hand, professional guides, on the second hand, uh, sharing more of the profits of the company with, with the the first level employees and giving them a reason to stay
2: mm-hmm.
1: and a reason, uh, uh, not, a, not only a reason to stay in the company, but also a feeling that they belong.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: the company and another very important milestone happened when a an important crisis in mexico economical crisis came and the way we overcome that crisis is that i increased salaries i increased some um things that i was given i, I were given to the to the employees like cars and uh insurances
0: and so on. Well, and you had a lot of employees, too, at this point, right? So, I mean, those are not small things that you're giving away.
1: No, no. At that time, we were around 100 employees, no, like 90 employees only in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And the other very important decision was to, to bring the, the company into a multinational uh, level. And let me quote, please. Multinational, because multinational was another country. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. So
1: yeah. It's multi, no?
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but
1: you know th- that was like uh, more like something for myself. <laughs> and so I decided that all profits from the previous couple of years were invested in what I've said and opening operations in Colombia. Oh wow. Something that uh, that was. Not only important, but it was you know like like a huge uh, goal to pursue, not only because of the investment, because of controlling. When you have tried to put your mind in um, twenty years now, uh, communications were not as are today. So controlling a, a, a small company which is two thousand miles away from your home or where you work means a lot
0: well yeah i mean you don't have skype like we're talking on right now
1: (laughs) we didn't have skype uh, and you know all the communications in um in in the digital world were really something new and please also put your mind in latin Mm -hmm. so yeah it it was it it was something it it was a break-even point as i said and you know my mind at that time was if i I get multinational I may overcome future crisis that was like the the the
0: the main the mindset behind it you know what what else Marcelo when you were like as you're starting to grow and you're you know you're at this half for 10 years and you kind of shift in by investing some of the profits into the future vision I mean what were some of the things that you what were some of the goals you were trying to reach was it revenue size employee size was it like disrupting an industry like what was driving you every day
1: all perfect data. Yeah. Uh, you know, what was driving me was not the P L was the balance sheet. Uh, l- let me try to, to explain a little bit this. Mm-hmm. M- most of the businesses, mainly the small businesses, work thinking on the profit and losses of the company. You know, the P&L, how much, w- what's my revenue? my direct costs, my expenses, and how much I can put into my pocket, Mm -hmm. which bottom line, it's okay. I think that the the real change comes when you think more in the balance sheet. I mean, in the value of the company, valuation of the company, because at that time, then you you have a, a, a mindset change. Yep. in which in which you believe more in the long term future rather than in the short term.
0: What were some things that you saw yourself do differently once you had that shift of mindset? Like, what were in your mind? What what did it mean to create a valuable company, and what were some of the long term things that you were trying to do to hit those goals?
1: Due to the fact that it, that we were a service company, the the main issue was to create the uh, human capital that was the most important thing by far
0: so and and what ways did you do that because i know service companies you know there there's a huge challenge because now that you're in the tech space and we can talk about that in a little uh, in a little bit later but you know the difference between a service based business like you were in where you your, your services are people it's a lot more difficult to increase the value and scale it as fast as it is in the software world so what were some of the things that you were doing for, to keep your employees, to, to, to build that human capital?
1: Yes, uh, what you said is, is completely right. I mean, it's by far easier when you have a production plan, for example. If you want to increase your revenue, well, you have to invest and this is it. It might not be linear, but uh, that's the way it happens. When it's a service, it's quite different. So what I did at the time is to, to share part of the company. With employees, it was not a uh, it was what we shared at that time was all profits of the company. So we created or I created a compensation structure for my first liners Mm -hmm. in which they were part of the company as owners. Maybe they didn't have shares of the company, but they shared profits of the company all profits Mm -hmm. not only in 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 the company they were working because i started the business in mexico then colombia and then we moved we opened operations in venezuela ecuador panama uh, and and a couple of more countries so we had a a very interesting like basket in which all the first liners
0: participated how many first liner what did that look like because i know that's you know you know you're talking about the executive team, right? The, the a lot of people call it the bench. You know, having that that you know really really powerful next level management. You know what 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 was the makeup? What did you have? A handful of those people. Like, how did you find them, and how did you trust them to the point where you were able to to do all this?
1: You know, all my first liners were people that worked for me for several years. So I didn't hire. No, I, I, I'm lying. Only one. Managing director, the the country manager, which were the one in, in Venezuela, I hired him directly to, to take that position mm-hmm. as a as managing director of the country. All the other cases were people that worked for me at least five years before they became first
0: liners. Got it. So, you know, as you're sharing in the profits of these people, did you see their react see their actions change or their work or vision or culture how did things kind of shift as you started doing that
1: well the first uh, to share profits is just um one part of the equation, because you may share profits but the other and and your question is very 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 good because i know some companies that are very aggressive in terms of of the compensation packages that they Mm -hmm. bring to their employees, but they are not that successful. And I think that the other part of the, of the equation is that I really spent a lot of time training the first liners to change the way they thought at the time. I mean, the mindset to become business men or business women, because I used to have a lot of first women in the first life, right? Something that I feel proud. Of. So I, with all of them, I spent very important part of my time teaching or sh- teaching. I don't like that word. Uh, maybe showing mentoring or, you know, yeah, leading. Yep. what I learned, not in, in school, but
0: the hard way, no? <laughs> the school of hard knocks, right? <laughs> yeah, life school, no. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I love it because I think that's you know one of the key ingredients that you you see in successful companies. I'm just curious, Marcel. You know, when you said that you were an account econ- uh, economics guy and you were not a business guy, but you started making these very intelligent business decisions along the way. You know what? Where did you find the influence, or where, where did it spark that you should be looking at future value and you should be doing things l- like this like was it just through trial and error did you have resources or people that were kind of guiding you along the way? no
1: no honestly no i I never hired any external advisor no, honestly, this was something that uh, uh, I, I I have to say that I don't know where from where did it come from? Mm-hmm. Um I have to say that maybe something very important. I am not that greedy. I mean I think that money it's a consequence. And when money is a consequence, you really enjoy the journey. Yeah. When you think that money it's is is the goal, I think that that you try to pursue very short-term goals. And I I really believe from the bottom of my heart, what I've said. uh,
0: um, It's a lot more fun too when everybody's there, right? I mean, everybody's in the trenches all working together. It's a heck of a lot more fun. Yeah, sure. And and you know,
1: I'm gonna say something that might sound weird, but you feel right when your personal compensation at the end of the year, it's very close to the one of your first liners. When the when the year's not the best of all. I, I don't know if I, I, I said it this clear.
0: No, I, I think you're right. I mean, because, you know, you, you know if, if, the, if you've had a hard year or things are going, I mean, everybody looks to you. I mean, you're the one that everybody's looking at. And I think, you know, yes, you, you still own the company. So the, the future value of that whole entity is yours. But, you know, if you're taking down, you know, huge salaries and a lot of perks while everybody else is suffering, I think it it says a lot about character.
1: Yeah, now exactly what you said is driving the company with the balance sheet and not with P and L.
0: So you know, as we're as you are doing this and you are looking to the future, I mean, what were like what was the end goal? I mean, because you you've been growing the company and you grew it significantly too. And there is a couple other you know milestones for when you decided to partner up and do some other uh, various things with the business. So how did you get to that point? Like where were you going, and then how did those things change as you were you know because i think it was about 2002 right so maybe explain what was the triggering event that that opened up your eyes to partnering up with someone and why did you go down that route (laughs)
1: because i'm mexican and i went through maybe six very big and important economic crises. you know when i used to study economics Mm -hmm. in the 80s and we Received at that time in the at the universities people coming from the u s obviously to discuss economics in rough times for most of the people from other countries was something a little bit like theoretical mm-hmm. no? but when you when you go through the through those crises, um, when I say crisis, just take into consideration that in two thousand nine, for example the GDP in Mexico decreased in real terms seven percent.
0: Mm, wow! I mean,
1: <laughs> it's it's a roller coaster. Yep. So, when I decided that it was important to partner with a bigger company, a multinational company. Nevertheless, we used to, we, we were multinational. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they had three. They had they were in three countries right now. <laughs> well, no, at that time, I, I was in
1: four countries. But the, my partner. No, my partner was in 110. <laughs> <laughs> well, a, a big difference, no?
0: Yeah, right. So, how did they did they knock on your door, or how did like how did the whole thing kind of transpire?
1: It, it was it was also that was something I would say a, a lucky a lucky issue, a lucky day, because they it, this was a, a, a German based company. Uh, the, the name of the company is GFK. At that time, it was the fourth largest company around the world, a research company, marketing mm-hmm. company. And they came down to Mexico looking for opening operations in LATAM. So Mexico was one of the countries. It was this, the second most important one in, in, in the region. And they were looking for a Mexican company to partner with. And as a matter of fact, I was not in their radar. I, I was not in their loop. And I, this is something that they said to me, I came to their, to their attention because a couple of uh, previous meetings with another two Mexican research companies didn't, didn't go that well. So okay. they came to my office and I think that, well, you know, I really believe, and when you have a good feeling with people, they were really lovely, lovely people, very academic and i that i, I think that was like the first first impression very good mm-hmm. the second very important thing is that with one key at that time they were able to open four countries and business wise i think it was a very smart decision on their side because uh at that time i i was running mexico colombia venezuela and ecuador so
0: And how many employees did you have at that point?
1: At that point, we were around 500, 500, around 500. Yes.
0: Yeah. So, you know, when they're, you know, so obviously I agree with you too. When you kind of, when you get the internal feelings, it's it's like a first date, right? I mean, you, you kind of feel the synergies with those people. So then after that, you know there's a lot of more of the technical stuff that has to happen, which is valuing the company, understanding how the deal is structured and stuff. How did they, how did you guys start going through those conversations and what were the, the back and forth of the outcomes that you guys were each trying to hit?
1: Well, it, it was very straight and forward. Uh, we signed an NDA and they did a, a, um, I'm sorry, I forgot the word that the, a, a, a
0: like due diligence or like kind of like an audit?
1: Yeah, sorry, yes. They did yep, yep. due diligence for six months. Hmm. With them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. For
0: six months with them. what do they do? Just like send a team of people over to your office and just camp out for half a year or what? No, no, no.
1: <laughs> no, they hired at that time I think that it was Ernst Junk.
0: Yep. Yep. So I
1: have uh I have them for in in the company for six months. In, in all the countries that I said, in the four countries. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, they went first through all financials. Uh, they went a lot of time through operations because the, in the business that I used to have, operations, you know, were a nightmare. Operations is <laughs> always difficult in all companies, but in, in market research, it is it, it a nightmare. It, it, it was really, really something important to look at.
0: Well, you got five hundred employees, four countries, and it's all people. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It, you know, it, it was everything was very. It was not uh, technological. Obviously, we used to have technology, but it market research the research the way we used to do it. Remember, we used to do all face to face interviews door. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> so no, you know, when when you ask at that time for a market research, you have to to wait. Couple of months, maybe three months to have results. You <laughs> can have results maybe in five minutes. Right. With that so, <laughs> answer. So, you
0: know? oh, I love it. So, what I mean, what during those six months was there anything that like got you to the point where you were annoyed or were regretting going down that route or surprises that came up? No, you know, something that they did really well
1: is when we signed the NDA and you know the first agreement Mm -hmm. we signed a formula uh, okay so and the formula was very easy it was an average of the EBIT EBITDA EBITDA of the previous two years multiplied by a factor plus 20% of the um, average of the previous revenue of the previous couple of years also
0: okay so that so we have a formula did you know marcelo like when you were going into that you know there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are not overly aware of what ebitda is or how to get to it or what it means or what those multipliers are so did you know before going into that kind of what the formula should be and how you get to it, or was that an education process for you?
1: Yeah. Uh, yes, I I I knew it, and I knew it because I sold my company to GFK. But something that I I haven't said to you is that I was in in a selling process for almost two years with another two companies. Uh. Obviously.
0: Really. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know those years were <laughs> those were really difficult times
0: in terms so that was that different companies that you owned or was it for different processes for the same company that you were trying to bid against no 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 there were two other companies as a matter of fact
1: one of the that companies were a u.s based company uh so it, it was there was there were another two multinational market research companies so they were looking for us um and so when i when i got into the Negotiation process with GFK. I have a PhD. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I love it I tr- trust me. I've been through some of those scenarios too. So these other companies that you own. I mean, what were some of the what were the uh, major milestones of that PhD that you learned that you might not have done correctly through the other ones that you brought to the table with uh, the current company?
1: I love that question because you know <laughs> um, the real issue and. Why I didn't say yes to the other companies is that the formula that they were proposing for the deal was a uh, discounted cash flow cash discounted cash, cash flow. With yeah with a with a present value mm-hmm. so what what I think about that is that it may work for companies for some companies in, in, in some segments, but in my case. It was. I, I thought at that at, what, at that time, and I uh, not at that time. I, I really believe, even nowadays, that um, it is quite not only difficult. It's quite unfair to get evaluation on what's going to happen, because it's not only that. The 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 small letters <laughs> in the contract <laughs> is what if you don't get <laughs> to the point that we are agreeing on so if you don't then comes tons of um, uh, of of, of uh, you know um,
0: stipulations and ways that they don't have to pay you right yes
1: penalties so if you don't get to that point by 10 percent, you will be penalized with blah 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 <laughs> <laughs> what i what i what i answered or what i said to those companies is can are you really aware that you are dealing with a Latin company that I don't know what's going to happen, for example, in Venezuela, with all my respect, mm-hmm. Venezuela and all countries. But do you know that I live every day uh, with, with uh, the Jesus on my mouth <laughs> in <that state laughs> Mexico, trying not to go through a, a, a huge economic crisis. Like the one that I talked to you a few minutes ago in Mexico, or in Ecuador, or in Colombia. So the big difference, and the reason what, that, that I said yes to GFK is the future is is, is something that we will as a, as partners is something that we have to build together.
0: We That's awesome. Have to
1: pay you for what you've done. The the condition for that to work is that you have to sell the company. In
0: tranches. hmm So I, I'm I'm curious, Marcel. Were the other two companies were they like financial buyers, which is why they were doing the de- discounted cash flow versus like a you know a strategic partner like GFK?
1: No, no, no. If you mean that if they were like venture capitals or something
0: like yeah, or like private equity or something like that, or were they actually other market research firms? No.
1: As a matter of fact, those were
0: market research companies.
1: Huh. Yeah. Yeah. But but you know. The, the, the huge difference is that those companies were managed by, by people more uh, financial oriented. And GFK used to be a company very technical, very, yeah, very focused importantly in, in the technical side. So mm-hmm. the management board of GFK at that time, all of them were part of the uh, of academy. All of them were researchers for their entire life, so you know they they cared about they got it more about the people rather than financials and I love that
0: so yeah i yeah that's um, well it's amazing, especially if you cared about your employees like you had showed with the profit sharing and the the training and mentoring and all that stuff so now that you've so you go down through the process, and you got Ernst and Young there for six months, and let's maybe you know you signed the deal. Now you've got fifty percent partners. What was it like going from a solo entrepreneur being able to call all the shots to having a bunch of partners? For the first
1: years, and uh, when I say the first years, I, I, I let, let me say something. I I, I had a two year contract uh, at the beginning. That so, I was supposed to sell the second part of the company. No, I'm sorry, three year contract at the end of the third year. Some oh, really? And yes, but we did an addendum and we added a couple of years more because we were in a honeymoon, we were very happy. I was very happy with them. I suppose that they were happy with me, otherwise, they 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 wouldn't sign the uh, end. Mm-hmm. So answering you at the beginning, it was a honeymoon at the end. I have to say that it was not that fun. <laughs> uh, the,
0: the, so when you say the end, how many years, so, you know, what, what changed, I guess maybe before, like, so how many years did it start to the relationship and dynamics start to change and what changed about it?
1: It changed for the last two years and what drove the change at that time, it was the the whole management board changed within, oh. Gf, within GFK. And what happened at that time is that what I said to you that it used to be a management board very people oriented and very technical and methodological and uh, like yeah those kind of more academic. the, the management The management board changed for people more on the financials and and at that time we were struggling as partners because I was defending my beliefs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nevertheless we were giving very good profit margin. As a matter of fact, the best profit margin in the region. But they wanted at a time for me to change, for example, my compensation program. Yeah, and and, and I, I I can understand that it, it was it it is quite difficult to have a Mexican employee uh, earning more money than a a German one in the same level, and I I really I really can can understand that, but that's something that if you change it, you might pull the trigger, uh, mm-hmm. and and I was not very happy with that. Uh, I didn't feel well at the time. Moving, I said, no. So we entered into fights and they said, uh, you have to change. And I said, no, I'm not changing because (laughs) 50% of the company, I still making decisions. And in in the meanwhile, when if I'm giving you back a very good profit margin, I understand that I'm putting you in a very difficult political uh, 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 problem, but I have to defend my business model. And you know, obviously, what won at that time it was the the size, no, and and, and it was logical to change the company.
0: Well, and it, it but it's frustrating, you know, being in that position where you signed up for one thing and things change, regardless of whether it financially makes sense or not, and all of a sudden you just have different beliefs than the partner that you originally signed up with. So it's it just puts you in an emotional spot that you didn't want to be in. So how did you get out of that? I mean, did, did one side, did you or the, them, decide it was time to then purchase the rest of the business? How did how did the whole rest of the transaction actually unfold?
1: No, honestly, that decision was taken by them. The time, the, the addendum, uh, the term of the addendum or the addendum expired, and I received a a a, a a a phone call from the president of the company saying that they were not signing and another addendum and mm-hmm. that they wanted me to leave the company and at that time i agreed but nevertheless it was not a question <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah it was a demand but i agreed
1: <laughs> I, I i wanted to feel that I, it was like something uh, uh negotiated
0: <laughs> oh that's awesome but, uh,
1: yeah, I, I was not feeling right in the company, and you know they were not feeling right with me. So they took the decision. They hired a managing director only for Mexico. So what they did is they split. Uh, I used to run the company as as a as, as one company in all my countries, mm-hmm. and I was respected while I was partner. When I I left the company, they divided the countries. Well, they they run the, com- the, the countries one-on-one. So they hired a managing director for Mexico because all the rest of the, the countries that I used to, to manage, they had a managing director. So they kept each managing director and they hired one for Mexico. And I spent like, honestly, like one hour with him. <laughs> 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 I, I spent a couple of months. Well, but, but bottom line, Giving the the control of the company to this managing director, I spent honestly one hour and I said, the only thing that you need to do to make this company successful is don't move the business model, stick to it, stick Mm -hmm. to the business model, don't change the business model that I have. This company runs well the way it is and just enjoy the ride. Um, I don't know what happened.
0: <laughs> I think they- I was going to say, I, I, you know based on what you said, I can probably guess how they approached it. You know what was it like Marcel handing off your baby like this the, the the company that you created? you know what was the thoughts in your head, the emotions that you were feeling as you were going through this?
1: Um, um, I, I think that the best way to resume that is um, I cried for one day. do yeah. um, uh, you know the feeling was it, it was like a mixed feeling. I had a lot of mixed feelings uh, on one side, you feel very good because you feel that the job was well done in your life. But on the other hand, at that time, I was I was 46. I mean, to be 46, you are not a teenager, but you are not prepared to retire, to retire me.
0: So, and your uh, your whole identity was wrapped up in your company too.
1: Yeah, sure. So it's your baby, and you know the feeling is like, like when someone takes away from you the safety net, mm-hmm. and you are in a circus. And when you have a safety net, obviously, I'm not saying that you don't take risks, but it is it is different than when someone says, "Okay, you have to do this without now the
0: safety net." So. Uh-huh. So the safety net for you, Marcella, was it a financial safety net or an emotional safety no, net? No, oh,
1: very, very good question. It was more an emotional one. It was more the company, you know, because financially, now now you have cash. Now you have money. <laughs> yeah. so you were paid, no? <laughs> but, and, and this is something that, that I, I didn't like at the beginning. A lot of people came to me at the time saying, wow, you should be very happy. Now you can play golf. As a matter of fact, I don't play golf. <laughs> <laughs> now you you can play golf and you can relax and you can enjoy. And the only thing that I was not doing it was I was not enjoying the the, the time. I, I was not having fun at all. Yeah. But people tend to to see things only in in a a strict money money driven way. And 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 then you come to you realize that money. Obviously, it's important, but it is not the most important thing. And and, and mainly when you have your primary necessities covered. And when I say primary, I'm not saying I'm not talking about uh, a fitting or or I'm not talking about uh, the the house. I'm saying that, I mean, I, I am not, I don't have a private jet. I don't need it. I don't have a judge. I don't need it. Really, I don't need it.
0: Well, I I think you hit on a lot of extremely important things. Um, I had a, you know, my own personal experience very similar to yours, and I was actually talking to another gentleman that was on the show, and we were really talking about this entire scenario. and I I like how you described it as a safety net, and I, I don't think people understand what that safety net consists of until afterwards and then you realize oh shit <laughs> like i had a lot of other emotional needs that were being met through my business that i wasn't aware of and i'm curious what what did you notice what what did that safety net consist of for you you know if you were to you know because i think you've recreated that um in those dynamics but what what did what did you miss the most well i think
1: i'm an entrepreneur that's
0: more than a businessman I think
1: I'm, I am an entrepreneur. So my personal safety net is to feel that I'm creating things every day. Yeah. Uh, so l- let me tell you what happened afterwards. Uh, I opened a recycling company, a, a recycling company that I, that I have today. I own today. Uh, we recycle, recycle, recycle Tetra Pak. I really believe in, in, in the green business, and I really believe that this world deserve, deserves something better than, than what we are doing with, with, mm-hmm. with the earth. So I started this recycling company, a company today is the largest private and um, uh, recycling, Tetra Pak recycling company in Mexico. But it was not good enough. It, it, is, it was not good enough because, nevertheless, it's, it, it's a good size business. It's, it has 65 employees. I I needed something more in the intellectual side. And then Fundari mm-hmm. came to my world. Fundari came to my world and to my life in 2016 with a very good friend of mine. Uh, we started saying that we have to take advantage about technology, about what was happening in the world, about our experience. and uh, I really believe that the financial um, uh, world would change a lot It's changing and will change. We will not recognize the financial world in five years now.
0: I would agree with that. Yeah.
1: So I want, I want to be part of it. And then Fundari came, or, or we started working in ideas and, and Fundari came to life.
0: So I love it. And that's a, that's a good segue into kind of what you're doing now. Cause so, you said, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head, which is you feel like you want to be, you want to be creating and you want to be evolving yourself as you're moving into all these different areas. So, what is it that you know? So maybe expand Fundery and explain, you know, what is the passion? What do you want to grow? Because I think you've reinvented yourself in a, a pretty amazing way. So, you know, I guess maybe two questions. You know, one is, you know, what do you what do you what are you personally trying to accomplish through this and how does that tie into the business and what is it that the business actually does?
1: Okay, let me let me say first that maybe this is a little bit, um, I did it because I'm selfish uh, and why I'm selfish because I have to, to build again my safety net and my safety net is I have to feel that I'm doing something financially that m- might have uh, obviously results for me but I... I want to feel right. I have three daughters, and I really want them to 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 feel proud about me. So, why fundary, and why fundary is so important for me in this in this part of of building up my safety net, and why it's important? As I said, I'm selfish, but uh, I, it's important because I think it's important for society. Let me give you some numbers. In Mexico, financial banking penetration. It's below 40, 37%. I mean, 37% of the people have any kind of bank account. Just imagine or try to imagine a country with this this figure growing and trying to move from undeveloped, from the undeveloped world to the first world. It's yeah. impossible. It's impossible. Yeah, that's crazy. Period. It's impossible. I mean... Right. You, we have to do something. And the the, the the typical and traditional financial segment is not going to do so. And it's not going to do so because they don't care. And they don't care because they don't need it. They don't need it. Right. So with this in mind, Fundari came to life. And again, I'm selfish because I want to feel good. But I, on the other hand, I really want to feel good because I know that if we succeed with Fundari, a lot of people will have a better life.
0: And I think it's a, an amazing thing that you're doing because the, one of the gentlemen that I spoke to, um, we were talking about, ha, you know, maybe there's like a call to action to have businesses switch and have more of an altruistic purpose instead of just managing to the balance sheet. So I think, you know, I think it was very awesome how you called out you 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 said you were selfish, but I would disagree with that because I think what you're doing you're you're accomplishing a lot of things at once, so it's not like you're chasing another dollar to create you're trying to change something that is gonna help everybody and everybody should win you know so I don't think that there's anything selfish oh, in what thank you're
1: doing. You. you know i i when I say selfish is uh, and maybe let me elaborate a little bit uh taking some words that you said now, altruism. I think it's something that all of us have to do, but it's not the right way to move a country. So Mm -hmm. I think that we have to take advantage of uh, technology to make a better world, to make a more democratic world, not in, in political terms, I mean in terms of way of life. So I decided at the time not to... To work on on altruistic uh, companies, no. Nevertheless, I do, and I do it, so I like it. Mm -hmm. Because, but on the other hand, I really believe that if you want to succeed and you want a country to grow, and you want, then you have to have businesses, and if you have businesses, you have to have profits. But you have to share the profits not only with your team but also with the rest of the society. How having fair enough profit margins. And thinking on how to do a business that really
0: uh, matters. Oh, I mean, well said. <laughs> that is, I mean, that is some amazing stuff. And I and I agree with you. And I think it's very cool how self-aware you are, and it and to be able to line all these things up so that way you can enjoy the ride while changing how things actually operate. And you know, one. P you know to go down into the the little bit of the technical stuff because I think it's pretty cool and it's uh, it's a hot topic these days but so that you guys have uh, the the technology stack is blockchain cryptocurrencies and smart contracts right so you're you're beachheading into this this world that everybody's talking yes, about these days yes.
1: correct yeah we are working on the very very updated uh, uh, technical side yes
0: so you know what would be success for you if you were to look at 2020 with your team and your technology and the mission? What, like, what would really get you going and what's the, what's the milestones you're trying to hit?
1: In the very short term, the first milestone is to have an ICO. Uh, and when I say it in the very short term, we are thinking about this in within the next couple, uh, maybe three months. And this is an important milestone because to do an ICO, it's a, a very healthy way to to have enough economical resources to build up the business. Let me say something very quickly. Fundari, first, the first product in Fundari will be a peer-to-peer lending platform, a platform that it's already working. We are just moving this platform to a smart contracts. Uh, this is something that should be finished by the end of the month end of january and uh, so this is the first milestone it, in in a parallel we are working building up what what's very important for us which is our ambassador program this is something that maybe we should uh, in, in in some other show if you if, if you like for sure i can explain it to you but ambassador the ambassador is our ambassador program is something that we really believe that will help us to increase the business quickly, but on the other hand, will help us to keep the default rate very low in in all the loans. Well,
0: it's your it's your people, it's your people skills. I mean, you manage seven hundred people across the world. I mean, it's uh, you're you're combining technology and people, and I think it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, and you know, it, it, we are we are uh, focusing on having at least twenty thousand ambassadors. Within the next couple of Holy years,
0: cow. yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, it, those these people you will know, not will not be employees. But what's what's important about this is these ambassadors and the people borrowing the money and the people receiving the money. All of them will have a, a some kind of financial um, uh, uh, benefit. So. Yes, this is some. That this is why I said to you, this business may have a huge, very important social impact.
0: Very important. Well, you're changing, changing things, and you're enjoying the ride. And, and I, I'm, I can hear the passion in in your voice with it, which is so fun because it sounds like you've rebuilt your safety net, and you're uh, you're going to check a lot of boxes in the in the process too, which is just a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> Honestly, I'm very grateful with you because you. With this interview, you are helping me to to keep on building up my safety net.
0: <laughs> So I love it. I, I I'm gonna have to. I'm definitely gonna be uh, grabbing that analogy from here on out. <laughs> so Marcel, what is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you?
1: Uh, I mean, I'm I'm on your disposal anytime. You can email me. Um, yeah, the the best way
0: to to, to, to contact me is through email. And I can have that email in the show notes too. So yeah, sure. End
1: yeah, please, please do it. It would be a pleasure to to answer any anyone who has question or whatever.
0: If there's one thing that you want to highlight from all the stuff that we talked about, or one thing you want to leave our listeners with, what do, what do you think it would be?
1: Yeah, we should never never surrender, uh, and we should always keep our entrepreneurship uh, vision. I, I I really believe that this world. Not only the service, it, it, it only needed. So, yeah, I love also what you do, um, what I know about you. And I, what I wanted to say is all the new generations, they have a lot of things to do. We have to use technology to have a more democratic world with less differences in terms of, you know, way of living. This is something that we have to work on.
0: Well, Marcel, I'll tell you what, I want to live in the world that you envision. I can tell you that. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Ryan. It was really a great pleasure to talk with you.
0: Thanks for sticking in there till the end. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Marcelo. I learned a ton from talking with him. And the, the top three things that I want to highlight are one of the the big takeaways was the ability to be true to yourself and who you are, Marcelo did an amazing job articulating what it was like to realize that that safety net was gone and to realize that he likes to create and then reinventing the scenarios for him to be able to be going towards his passion Changing the world and having fun again. And I think it's huge and it's not an easy process. So if you've got the ability to find out what drives you and what your safety net looks like before you sell, it's really, really worth the time and the effort and the look in the mirror before you have to be outside of your company looking at what it used to be like. And the second thing that I think is really worth highlighting is that it's about the people and the culture and your employees and the trend is from all these successful successful entrepreneurs is how they valued their people and it wasn't about them or their egos and they placed so much of the value on their people that things naturally took care of themselves, like getting a lot of money for your business, having a lot of fun, building the community and the culture, and everybody can see the magic that's happening if you treat them right. The third takeaway that I had is understanding your company's value and focusing on the long-term sustainability will position yourself in the right place regardless. So when Marcelo switched his thought process to look at company value, a lot of things started working really well for him, which is why GFK knocked on the door and was able to offer him the price that he wanted. I hope you enjoyed the episode and until next week, start thinking about what your safety net looks like and what your business means to you.